Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm your host, Karen Curtis. And much of my broadcasting career I spent as a traffic and breaking news reporter sitting in the back of a helicopter in Miami. This episode is about probably one of the most famous traffic accidents in history, other than Princess Diana crashing into a pillar in the Paris Tunnel. I interviewed Jeff Gordon in 2003 at the Homestead Raceway, and it was right after a fuel tanker had rolled over on top of a taxi cab on 95, burst into flames, and incinerated all five people in the taxi. So I asked him, as an experienced driver, would you rather be on 95 in South Florida or four wide at Talladega? He chose the latter. It is a rough going ride on 95, especially in Broward and Miami-Dade. But in 2006, IndyCar driver Paul Dana suffered fatal injuries when he was decapitated in a practice crash on March 26th before the Toyota Indy 300 at Homestead Miami Speedway. He was 30. Remember, the Indy cars are open wheel and open cockpit. He was pronounced dead shortly before noon at Jackson Memorial Hospital, and that's a level one trauma center. His car was traveling at full speed, crashed into another wrecked car that was in his way. And, you know, auto racing is dangerous. You have spectacular wrecks. That's what we always watch it for. The big one. Well, you see sparks, flames, car parts flying. It's dangerous for the drivers and the fans. Sometimes fans get hit by debris. But anyway, this episode is about an accident that happened in 2001 involving Dale Earnhardt Sr. If I win races and be a contender for that championship, I'm staying where I am and I'm not ready to back off a bit. So that is NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt Sr., a.k.a. the Intimidator and Man in Black. He drove the number three car owned by Richard Childress. Earnhardt won a total of 76 Winston Cup races over the course of his 26-year career, including four Winston 500s that was in 1990, 94, 99, and 2000. And then, in 1998, he won the coveted Daytona 500. He won more than $42 million, and until February 18, 2001, he was the man. His son, Dale Earnhardt Jr., was up and coming. And in fact, it was during the race at Daytona that his son was actually vying for the lead and trying to win the race. And Dale was trying to help his son. And I'm going to walk you through his final moments on the track. And look at him go. Here they come, gang. I told you, you, you think these guys can settle down, take it easy? No way. They're going to race their hearts out. Rewind into turn one again. Let me tell you, that's the best thing that Mikey's got going for him is those two cars behind him. you got to pass two cars to get to him. Okay, Mikey is Michael Waltrip, and that's Daryl Waltrip in the Fox booth announcing. So he's announcing about his brother who's leading the Daytona 500. So, of course, he's excited and happy, and he has no idea what's about to happen. I believe Dale Jr. and Dale Sr. both are doing all they can to help Michael make that happen. Oh! Earnhardt! Sterling got into Earnhardt. Dale is doing everything he can to keep, keep Sterling behind him because Dale knows that Sterling's got a fast car. So that was Sterling Marlin getting into the back of Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s car. So already there's trouble on the track. We're coming around with a white flag. 
Come on, Mikey. Come you, on, got you, it, got you, you got it, man. You got it. You got it. You got it. Well, no, he's not. So while everyone was excited that Michael Waltrip won the Daytona 500, back in turn four, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was dead inside his car. I mean, it was a seemingly minor crash, but it turned out to be deadly. I guess he's all right, isn't he? I was watching the race at home. I was living in Hallandale Beach at the time. And as I watched the wreck live, along with 17 million other viewers, it didn't seem like it was that bad, at least not fatal. And Michael Waltrip won the race, but his joy was short-lived. Come on, baby. Come on. People didn't know me a month before. Now we're all standing in victory lane celebrating winning the greatest race in the world. Everything was just so cool. And it remained that way for probably 20, 30 minutes. We kept watching on the camera and this looked bad. And, and you can tell by the people around the, the, the car, even though it was in a long shot. Then the ambulance came up and then Dale was taken out and placed in the ambulance. And then we followed, watched the ambulance going to the hospital. And the ambulance was traveling virtually at walking pace, which meant either a broken back or death. Unfortunately, it was the latter. So again, what happened was Earnhardt Sr., who had already won the Daytona, was trying to help his son, little E, win the 500. And as the laps wound down, Michael Waltrip and Earnhardt Jr. were running in first and second place, with Earnhardt Sr. behind them, blocking Sterling Marlin's attempts to pass him. With less than two laps remaining, box commentator Darrell Waltrip noted that Sterling had beat the front end off the old Dodge, his car, just trying to get around Dale Earnhardt Sr. And here we go back to the call. The three car down. Oh, big trouble. Oh, big wreck on, behind him. To the flag. Come on, Mikey. You got it, man. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. Mikey. This is undoubtedly one of the toughest announcements that I've ever personally had to make. Uh, but after the accident and turn four at the end of the Daytona 500, uh, we've lost Dale Earnhardt. That was the official announcement by NASCAR President Mike Helton. But it was made a while after the race ended. Now, as the cars entered turn three on the final lap, Earnhardt still held third, senior. Running in the middle lane of traffic with Marlins number 40 Dodge just behind him in the bottom lane and Rusty Wallace number two. His Miller Lite Ford was positioned directly behind Earnhardt Sr. with Ken Schrader riding the high lane above Earnhardt in his yellow M&M's sponsored number 36 Pontiac. 
so the accident happened in turn four. That was the final turn of the final lap. When Earnhardt Sr. made light contact with Marlin and slid off course. When Earnhardt attempted to regain control and turned back onto the track, he crossed in front of Schrader, hitting Schrader and dragging his car up the track. Earnhardt collided head-on into the retaining wall at a critical angle, with his car going an estimated speed of 155 or 160 miles per hour. It was enough to break the right rear wheel assembly off the car. Upon impact, his hood pin severed, causing his hood to open up and slam against his windshield multiple times. Now, as Michael Waltrip and Dale Earnhardt Jr. were about to complete the race, both of the wrecked cars slid down the steep banking at Daytona and slid into the infield grass near the exit of Turn 4. All the other drivers were able to make it past them without incident, so there wasn't a big one there. After both cars came to a stop in the infield, Schrader in the M&M car climbed out of his car uninjured and went to check on Earnhardt Sr., Now, Earnhardt's window net was still up, and usually when you have a crash and you're okay, you lower your window net to let everyone know you're okay. It was still up, and Schrader pulled it down himself. Schrader's eyes bugged out of his head, and he frantically signaled to the paramedics who were just arriving at the crash site. Schrader described what he saw in indirect terms. He said, we've got bigger problems. Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm telling you, it don't look good. His brief interview came after he was released from the mandatory trip to the infield care center and was likely the first indication to most observers that the situation was serious. I've gone to the Daytona 500, and when the race is over, it's like the lights going up after an opera. Everyone heads to the gate to leave and get to their cars. So thousands of fans who left the track had no idea how serious Dale Earnhardt's injuries were. Only after the 10-year anniversary... When asked about it, did Schrader finally say, quote, here's the deal. When I went up to the car, I knew. I knew he was dead. Yeah. I didn't want to be the one who said Dale is dead. I hope Dale's okay. I guess he's all right, isn't he? I've posted the official investigative photos from inside Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s crash car, and there is blood everywhere. Based on these photos, it looks to me like... When his head went one way and his body went the other way, he may have partially been decapitated. So if Dale Sr.'s neck broke at the base of his skull, it's possible his head twisted so violently it partially came off his body. No wonder Schrader was so shaken and shocked when he looked inside Dale's car and saw the body. If you want to see those photos, go to my Instagram page, Fullrigger Podcast. I know there would be a lot of things different if Dale Earnhardt was still alive. So what caused Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s death? He had suffered many serious injuries during his racing career, but he didn't always seek medical attention. So as he was rounding the turn of the last lap and made contact with Schrader's car and smashed into the cement wall at 150 miles per hour, he died from blunt force trauma to his head. He'd also fractured his ribs and his left ankle, but was dead instantly from the head trauma and a ring fracture of the base of his skull. Some thought Earnhardt had altered his seatbelt for the race or that the belt had broken or split in two. NASCAR looked inward and changed some things after Earnhardt's death. They worked on the design flaws in cars. They made the walls of the racetracks safer. Hans devices were mandated. 
It's what holds the driver's head in place when there's an accident. Now, Earnhardt did not want to change NASCAR or the race or slow it down, but his death did just that. And his son, little E, was named most popular driver for the following 15 years. His dad was trying to help him win that race, and then he had to retire as well at a young age. He suffered multiple concussions. NASCAR officials said that crash recorders would be used in cars going forward and that there would be more research into restraint devices and the organization would hire a full-time medical liaison that will work with safety crews at individual tracks on the schedule. Now, after Dale's death, NASCAR did not make radical changes to the design of the stock cars, such as an aluminum honeycomb crush box in the front and rear of the cars to help decelerate impact or add crushable bumpers to the cars. But NASCAR made the Hans device, which prevents the head from snapping forward, mandatory in October of 2001. A seat belt failure as a result of improperly installed belts was used as a contributing factor to Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s fatal crash. The seatbelt failure was termed dumping during the accident. This meant that the adjuster mechanism became cockeyed, the lower end moved forward, and the webbing of the left side adjuster mechanism bunched up toward the lower end of the mechanism. So the belt webbing works best when it remains flat and all of its fibers are pulled at once. When the belt dumps, a greater stress is placed on fewer fibers and there's a risk of tearing. It's similar to the concept of a heavy sheet of paper. It's difficult to separate the sheet if both ends are pulled straight. But if the paper is pulled on one side only and rips across, it will tear easily. Earnhardt suffered ring fractures at the base of his skull caused by a sudden impact into the wall during the crash. But his death wasn't that simple. He had head trauma, that was the finding, but it wasn't just the only reason why he was killed. There were a variety of factors that happened in the milliseconds it took during the crash. Experts use Newton's law that states an object in motion remains in motion unless acted upon by another force. When Earnhardt lost control of a Chevrolet while he was in front of a pack of cars in the last turn on the last lap of the 500, his car shot up the racetrack where Ken Schrader's Chevrolet ran into the passenger side of Earnhardt's car. According to global positioning data used by Sport Vision, which had an in-car telemetry in Earnhardt's car, there's actually a camera in his car that shows the impact. audio from inside Earnhardt's car as the accident happened. Helped investigators estimate the speed at which Earnhardt hit the wall. It was between 156 and 161 miles per hour. The angle of the impact played a major role in the force that caused Earnhardt's body to shift in a way that caused the fatal injuries. According to the investigators, Earnhardt's helmet turned to the right and his head rotated while his body flew toward the steering wheel. And because his seatbelt separated due to an improper installation, it allowed Earnhardt's body to be thrown further than if it had been tightly strapped into the seat. All of those factors led to his cause of death. Attorneys for the seatbelt manufacturer said that the belt separated because it was installed improperly. They distributed the results of their report along with instructions on how to properly install a five-point belt and harness. So after Dale's death, NASCAR came out with lots of safety precautions in addition to restrictor plates that kept speeds below 200 miles an hour at major racetracks like Daytona and Talladega. They mandated the Hans device, roll bars, tear away car bodies, 
SAFER barriers, the steel and foam energy reduction barrier, or SAFER is what it's called, also referred to as a soft wall. It lines the walls of an oval track to absorb the impact of a crash. Fire suits. Racing suits look cool, but they also have to play a critical role in driver safety. NASCAR drivers wear fire retardant suits under garments, shoes, and gloves to protect them in case of a fire. The Hans device, the head and neck support device, also known as a head restraint, secures the helmet to the driver's body instead of to the seat which prevents the driver's head from whipping around if there's a crash. It's the only device NASCAR has allowed drivers to use since 2005. Special seats, just as the features inside the race car have evolved, the seat has become more high-tech. Carbon fiber instead of aluminum absorbs the shock of impact, and the seats are now designed to wrap around the driver's rib cage and provide more support during a crash. Some of the newer seats also wrap around the driver's shoulders. Window nets, not only do they protect the driver from flying debris if there's a crash, the nylon netting on NASCAR windows also makes sure that the driver's arms are contained. After the crash, as I said earlier, drivers lower the window net as a signal that they are not injured, and in Dale's case, his window net was not lowered. Seatbelts, when shoulder harnesses were introduced in the 1960s, many drivers resisted using them because they didn't want to be pinned in the seat in the event of a fire. But today, drivers wear a six-point harness that secures them in their seat, and all of the belts are connected to a single latch that allows for a quick release in case they need to exit the car. So something like this never happens again. Earnhardt Jr. still running in second. They're all chasing Michael Waltrip on the super stretch. Three wide behind, halfway down the back straightaway. Waltrip with maybe a one-car length lead over Earnhardt Jr. to three. Michael Waltrip showing the muscle. Everything stacks up from third on back. Dale Earnhardt gets turned sideways. He'll take Schrader. Earnhardt and Schrader are in the wall. Waltrip leads off four. Coming down to the finish, though, it is Michael Waltrip trying to hold off Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 463 tries. Finally, Michael Waltrip is going to win a NASCAR Winston Cup race, winning the Daytona 500, the biggest of them all. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is second, Rusty Wallace third, Ricky Rudd fourth, and fifth is Bill Elliott. Let's go to Eli Gold. Sitting directly in front of me, the Ken Schrader car and the Dale Earnhardt car. Earnhardt was on the low side of the racetrack. Someone turned his car. He went shooting up the banking directly into the route that Kenny Schrader was occupying. Schrader now very quickly calling over for the medical crews to come to attend and check on Dale Earnhardt. So Schrader climbing from his car, very quickly ran to the number three, peers into the car and calls to the medical crews who are quickly coming to the scene. Dale Earnhardt took a really hard shot into that outside wall of the final lap here at Daytona. We'll update you further there in just a moment. Well, in hot pursuit of Dale Earnhardt Jr., who is going out toward turn four to see if he can find out about his father. He's looking uh, for the care center. Dale Jr., the care center's this way. They don't know anything yet about your father. Did you have any chance of getting around him, or did you have to have some help? I was just hanging on. He had a good car. Hell of a race for Michael. I'm proud of him. That's Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's going to the care center. He's trying to check on his father. He comes home second. So really, the death of Dale Earnhardt Sr. was the death of NASCAR, because it just really has not felt or been the same since he ran into that wall on the final turn at Daytona. And what was so interesting about the whole thing was the familial aspect. You've got Daryl Waltrip cheering on his brother, Michael Waltrip, who hasn't won a NASCAR race, and he happens to win the Daytona. So that's super exciting for him. And then you've got Dale Earnhardt Sr. 
trying to help his son win the race as well and dies making the effort. So Little E comes in second at Daytona and his father dies in the process. So just a horrific day for the NASCAR family and for the sport of auto racing altogether. You can see photos of the crash from that fateful day at my Instagram post, Full Rigger Podcast. Please remember to download and subscribe and give me a rating if you liked my podcast. Not every one of my podcasts is about some crazy murder, but I hope you like this one for a change. That wraps up this episode of Full Rigger. Until next time, thanks for listening.